Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So we've been walking through the letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to those scattered on what I'd like to call the outer rim of the Roman Empire. And we've just talked about how he has painstakingly helped us to understand our identity, who we are. Who we are, our identity determines how we think and what we do over and above our place in history, our circumstances, our culture, our desires, our feelings, our identity dictates what we think and and how we act. And that identity is this, that if you have come to Jesus Christ through salvation, then you are a part of God's royal family. You are a priest who characterizes God to the world and you intercede on the world's behalf. You know, it's, it's just thinking about that for a second. How many, of, how many people that you know who are not Christians, how many of them I'll make an assumption here. How many of them know that you intercede on their behalf to the God of the universe? Think about that for a second. That is your and my calling as priests to intercede on behalf of the lost world. How many people that you interact with who don't know Christ know that you intercede on their behalf. And if you're not, then, then you might need to get priesting out there and interceding on behalf of the, the lost world. We spend a lot of time saying a lot of things about the world that's lost. Do we spend time interceding on their behalf? Like, what an incredible thing. Even if people don't understand God or understand or even want him for them to know that you are interceding on their behalf. You know, I think it's, it's, it's crazy how this is who we are, yet we're characterized by so many other things. And, and so Peter continues and he walks into this place, and he kind of comes back to a place of, okay, so then what is part of our purpose? What is our purpose? How do, we, how do we live in the society in which we live? Because we're still in that society, even though we are a royal priesthood, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house that Jesus is the guide, plumb line, the cornerstone of. We are all those things. So how do we live in a society that does not recognize those things? And what's our mission in that society? What's our purpose in that society? 
And I'm just going to read through the text this morning. Because I'm becoming more and more convinced that that's what we need to do. I've studied and I've, I've, I've worked through it, meditated, spent a lot of time. The scripture speaks for itself to us. And I know there, there was a couple people, it's kind of funny last week, a couple people. Um, <laughs> I want to let you know, as, as I read the text, I have two versions in front of me right here. I have the ESV and the CSB because I like them both. They're, they're like, if you have two kids, both of those are your favorite kids, right? You don't have a favorite. I mean, if you're a good parent, you claim that anyway. Um, and, and so, and so I, these are my favorites. And, and so last week, a few people were like, I gave up following you in the text because I didn't know where you were getting it from. I was just going back and forth. So I'm gonna do that again. So don't freak out or worry about it. But um, they're both really great, great translations of, of the original language. Um, First Peter chapter two. Verses 11 and 12. So we've just heard of who we are, our identity. He goes on, he says, beloved or dearest friends. So here's the thing that we need to be reminded of, even after we've been reminded of our identity, is this, that we are those who are loved by God. God deeply and loves you so much so much that, that God gave everything for a relationship, a restored relationship with you. So he starts out, he, he says as he transitions, he says, beloved or dearest friends, saying not only does God love you, but I love you as well. And so this is coming from this corporate identity that we are together a priesthood. We are a spiritual house. And so he says, beloved or dear friends, he says, I urge you, as strangers or sojourners. And that word, actually, he used in chapter 1, verse 17. And what that means, what that kind of the, the, the connotation that is carried with that idea of a stranger or a sojourner is a person who's in a country without the benefit of citizenship. So he's saying, I want you to recognize your place because, because of your allegiance to Christ you don't get to participate and take hold of the freedoms and the privileges that, that, that maybe a citizen of the Roman Empire receives because your citizenship is different from where you are living. It is not bound to your nation. And not only says that, but he, he goes further and he says, uh, I, I urge you as sojourners or strangers and exiles... Exile is kind of almost repetitious, but having a slightly different nuance in the idea that, that an exile is one who is in a different country temporarily. So it's, it's, it's not your home. And I think he uses these two terms, and, and again, he uses exiles in chapter one, verse one, but, but he uses these terms, and here's what he's getting at, is that, is that there is something about those who, are, who have given their allegiance to Jesus Christ and living in whatever country or nation or time frame that you live in, that there is a certain disconnectedness or out-of-placeness in the place where you live. It's interesting. I, I, I hear, sometimes I, I get in conversations and hear people say things like, 
this is not the country that I remember, or this country is, is becoming foreign to me. Good. Because we should never have felt comfortable in a place other than in the kingdom of God. We should always have felt out of place, no matter how good and moral or ethical the country in which we live is, it doesn't matter. We should always feel out of place because of our allegiance to Jesus, because there is no nation that has its allegiance to Jesus. And so what Peter's doing is he's reminding us and saying, look, I want you to understand that you feel out of place. Good, you should, because you belong to Jesus. You are loved by God and you are a holy nation set apart. And so this is where you are. And so he says, these dear friends, those who are loved by God, keep, he says, uh, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Abstain from the sinful desires that, that are coming up from within Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 7, verse 14 and 15, he says, he says, it's not what comes from outside that makes a person unclean, but the things that are inside that makes a person unclean. And, 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 and Peter, I, I would imagine that in this moment, he's remembering what Jesus said as they were walking on the road and as Jesus was preaching, because he says here, abstain from those things that are coming from inside. The greatest threats to your faithfulness and your intimacy and your, your, and, and your carrying out the mission of Jesus Christ is not coming from the outside, but it is coming from inside of you. Those left, leftover beachheads or vestiges of sin that still lead us towards rebellion inside, and he says abstain from those fleshly passions or sinful desires. And it's easy for us to, to minimize those things to just sexual things, because when we think of fleshly passions, we think of sexual sin and things like that. It includes that, but it is far more, it is far greater than that in what, what Peter's saying. He's saying those anything that is contrary to the kingdom values that Jesus gives us. And so thinking in our own lives, what are those things that are those sinful desires, those fleshly passions that we have? It could be, it could be an out of control sex life. It could also be the desire to be comfortable over becoming like Jesus. That's a fleshly passion. And, 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 so, and so he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh or sinful desires that war against your soul, that are, that are battling within and trying to convince you that you are someone that you are not. Trying to take your identity that is in Christ as a holy nation, as a royal priesthood, as a possession of God's own treasure. And, and so, and so we, we, he's saying, fight that battle. Yet it's a war in our soul. And here's the thing, it, it, could, be, it could feel discouraging that, that we're in this battle because no one has conquered their flesh. 
totally, have they? No one has. We still, we still do things and think things that, that later we're ashamed of and we're embarrassed of and we think, how could I have done that? We think that of other people. <laughs> Sometimes we look at other people and say, how could they do that? How could they think that? I think one of the things we have to be careful about that in recognizing that there is a war that we're in every day that comes from inside of us. And we need to recognize that not only about ourselves, but about other people. See, when we say something like, I just don't even, I can't understand, I can't conceive of how you could think that way, how you could vote that way, how you could do that thing, what we're doing is we're completely outside of empathy and compassion. Jesus showed up on the mountaintop looking over Jerusalem, and when he did, he looked at Jerusalem, and he could have said, I can't even believe how these people can act this way, but he didn't. He just wept, and his heart broke because of the people's slavery to sin. We need to recognize there's a battle in us, and there's a battle in others, and we need to remember that we are capable of wrong thinking and wrong action wrong behavior, just like anybody else. And one of the things we need to do is recognize that battle and have grace and empathy for one another because that is super important. Here's what I want you to understand. One thing, one, number one is this. Um, this, is, this is not a losing battle, okay? This is not a losing battle. It might feel like it is in moments, but it is not a losing battle. Secondly, it is not an easy battle. <laughs> That's probably why it feels oftentimes like it's a losing battle in our lives because it is not an easy battle. Here's what I want you to take away is that it is a battle worth fighting. It is 100% a battle worth fighting. And, and here's what we have to fight that battle. Number one, we have been born again to an imperishable seed. We are born again in the seed of Jesus Christ, which that seed will produce a tree, us, that is like that seed. We talked about that last week. But here, here's, here's where, where it is hard. I don't know if you have a tree in your yard or maybe neighbor's yard. We've got a huge tree in our, in our next door neighbor's yard and, and it is just so big and sprawling and out of control and full, and it just is, is, is huge. And the leaves, in the winter when the leaves fall, there's so many leaves, but the tree still looks full. You know why? Because it's also full of mistletoe. Let me ask you something. Is that a mistletoe tree? No. It's not but that mistletoe grabs on and if it's not dealt with, it will kill the tree. Part of what happens because of our internal battle is it opens up doors for things on the outside to grab onto us and make us appear different than what we are. Peter's saying abstain from those things and earlier, what we talked about last week, he said, and get rid of these things. Cut the mistletoe out because you are an imperishable seed. You will not die. 
You will live forever with Jesus, and that is who you are. So he says, abstain from those things that wage war against your soul. And then he says this. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, or conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles. He's using this word Gentile here, not about the, the, the Jews versus Gentiles, because he's writing primarily to Gentiles. That's his audience in, in this letter. It's ethnos. It's, it's the nations. And it's used in Scripture to describe those who are not allegiant to Jesus Christ. That's what it's used in. So it's saying, what he's saying, conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles, among those who do not have nor do not want Jesus as their king. Conduct yourself honorably in their presence. I was in a conversation this week. We were talking about this. It was conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles. The question was raised, and we, many of us have a hard time conducting ourselves honorably among each other. And that's unfortunately true. See, Peter, I think, is making an assumption that we are recognizing who we are, that we are living stones placed by Jesus, according to Jesus, in a spiritual house, and that we are conducting ourselves honorably among one another, working together, because we all have the same indwelling Holy Spirit in us. We are so far more than just family or friends. We are connected by the Holy Spirit, God himself, living inside every one of us together. That's ridiculous. We are a living spiritual house that God has built for the world to see. So he says, he says conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles. Make sure that as you interact with them and they see you, and, and this, is, this is a corporate call. This is a call to the priesthood of believers to conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Why? So that when they slander you as evildoers, okay, here, we've got to stop here for a second. In the first century, those outside of the faith were at best skeptical of those who called themselves Christians. They were anti-government, they were anti-civil, they were anti-social, they were anti-all of those things because you see, they didn't go to the temples of the gods and worship the gods and pay them honor. They didn't join in the civil celebrations of those gods in public. About a, about a generation after Peter writes this, there's a Roman historian, Tacitus, who, who wrote this of Christians in the Roman history books. Christians are hated because of their vice. That sounds pretty, pretty, pretty serious. Christians are hated because of their vices. What vices is Tacitus talking about? He's talking about incest and cannibalism. Incest because they call each other brother and sister. 
and they call themselves a family, and so there's something sketchy going on there. Cannibalism, because every time they gather together, they talk about the body and the blood, and they eat and drink of it. And then you put that together with all the other things that they don't like about what's happening in the church as it grows in the first century, then they slander and they call them evildoers. See, here's the, here's the thing. The world, because it is the world, and Jesus calls us to be holy, set apart, distinct, different, agents of change, the world will always find reasons to call us evil. And here's, here's the thing that we have to work really hard on. Is what the world is saying about those who follow Jesus, is it slander or is it accurate? Because when the world says, you know, the reason Christians are terrible is because they hate the LGBTQ community. Is that true or is that slander? It's not true if we're actually following Jesus and doing what Jesus did. Unfortunately, it seems true by a lot of the language that comes out of those who follow Jesus and oftentimes the way they treat people who they see as sinners. Don't let what the world calls us and uses as an excuse to walk further away from Jesus be true. Let it be false. Let it be a lie. And, and, so, and so he says, conduct yourselves in this way that is honorable among the Gentiles so that when they speak, against you as evildoers, which they will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, that they will observe your good works and will glorify God on that day that he visits. This is the return of Christ. This is what Peter is talking about. Why? Why do we live into our identity? Why do we work hard to, to, to abstain from sinful desires just so that we can be good moral people? No, that's not the reason we do that. We abstain from those things and conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles, among the nations, among those who don't know Christ so that when they see our corporate witness, our corporate testimony, when the world sees the priesthood of believers as a corporate group of people, they see our witness, that they will see something that is so good and so beautiful, and they will see our acts and our behavior and what we do so evident, so powerful, so consistently, so long-suffering, even though they may call us evil, that they can't stand against it because it is so good. And then, that because they verbally say they don't want Jesus, they dismiss the church as evildoers, 
that we do so much good to them in spite of what they do that without having a personal relationship with maybe a Christian, but seeing the corporate witness of the priesthood of believer, believers, the living stones that are put together in a spiritual house, that they actually come to Jesus for redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. And on the day Jesus returns, those are a category of people who are among those redeemed. Do you realize that there is a category of people in Scripture? Jesus says it, James says it, Peter says it. It's all over the New Testament. A category of people who come to Christ through the corporate witness of the body of Christ, simply by doing good. Jesus says, let your light so shine so that others may see and glorify their Father in heaven. Scripture says, never tire of doing good. Peter says, be honorable among the Gentiles so when, when they slander you, they will see your good deeds and they will glorify God the day he visits. Here's the thing, when Jesus comes back, only those who are with him, part of God's family, forgiven, will glorify God because the rest of the world will be in utter terror because Jesus coming back is not a good thing for them. And so there is a group of people, a category of humanity who has been drawn to Jesus Christ through the corporate, consistent, unified witness of the body of Christ, the priesthood of believers. And there's also a category of people who've been pushed further away from Jesus because of what they saw and heard in the priesthood of believers. You see, it, it takes a ton of work, doesn't it? To get a good reputation. And it takes one moment for that to fall apart. You know, we, we, we say things like, you know, other people don't need to know or be in my business. Sure, absolutely. People don't need to be in your business, but the priesthood does. You know why? Because you and I are connected in the priesthood, and if we're not in each other's business, there's some degree that we're denying the Holy Spirit inside of ourselves. So yeah, that's probably what I would put among those fleshly desires, the desire for privacy. We don't get that in the kingdom of God. You know why? Because we, are, we have a corporate witness. This morning on my way to church, I was riding in and I was behind a minivan. They had three or four stickers on the back of the minivan. I was following the minivan and it turned off the road into a parking lot of a church. One of the stickers on the back of the minivan was the Let's Go Brandon sticker. What does Let's Go Brandon actually mean? Sure, it's a, we'll put it mildly, it is a, that person doesn't like President Biden. 
But what it's actually saying, let me ask you this question. We know what that's saying. Do you think if I was behind that minivan and I saw them pulling to church and I was already skeptical of Christians in the church, would that push me to or away from Jesus? What would that do to the corporate witness of the priesthood of believers? By the way, the other emblem they had on the back of the minivan was a fish. At some point, we need to take seriously eternity, heaven, and hell, and the witness that we have as sons and daughters of God, of a holy nation, of the priesthood of believers. We've gotta take that seriously. And one post, one sticker, could push someone deeper into their distrust and their hatred of Jesus and the body of Christ. That's why this is so important. What's, what's awesome about what Peter's saying is that there's people that we will see in heaven who maybe never even maybe never even, even had the chance to sit down and have a significant conversation of, with someone who loved Jesus, but because of the incredible good and beauty that the body of Christ did, they will be in heaven because they saw that and they glorified God on the day that he returns. In the first century when Nero was emperor, there was a huge plague Thousands and thousands of people died. So much so that even the Roman government fled the city of Rome. The people who were charged with caring for the Roman Empire ran away. You know who didn't run away and stayed and got sick and died while caring for those who were dying and sick? the priesthood of believers stayed. The Christians stayed in Rome. Those who were well stayed and got sick and gave their lives to care for the sick and dying in Rome. And up to that point, the Christians had a really bad reputation, not, not for real, but they were slandered. But that caused everyone to take note and say there's something about what they are doing that legitimizes their claim of King Jesus. You can only do good to someone so long that they are going to have to make one of two decisions. <laughs> because one of the things they cannot do if you do good consistently and long-sufferingly is they cannot continue to believe that you're evil they will either have to recognize the legitimacy of what you're doing or they will have to avoid you altogether. I don't know, maybe there's another step in there, like punch you and then avoid you altogether because that just makes them feel better. 
But what Peter's saying is outlast the evil that's being done to you. Do good so much and so often in the name of Jesus. Real good. That the world will see and they will glorify God on the day that Jesus returns. And they will be counted in that number. You know, when Jesus was standing in front of Pilate and being questioned, you know, basically today the charge would have been against Jesus? Domestic terrorism. You know how I get there? Jesus was being accused of threatening to destroy the temple. So like he was gonna rent a truck and fill it with a manure bomb and drive up to the temple mound and he was gonna blow it up. Or he was gonna hijack a donkey and run it into the temple wall. I don't know. But, but whatever that looks like, whatever they thought he was going to do, he was a domestic terrorist, which was a lie, wasn't it? Yet Jesus kept doing good to the point where they had to either believe him or kill him. Those were their only options, right? It is so hard for us to do what Peter is talking about, but as I said, it is not a losing battle. It's a hard, it is not an easy battle, but it is worth it. Why? Because literally people's eternity hangs in the balance. And as exiles and strangers, one of the things that we don't have, one of the freedoms we don't have, one of the, 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 the desires that we cannot act on is devaluing and dismissing those we don't like. Because they need to see our corporate witness and glorify God at his visitation. The only way we can be successful is through surrender to Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and recognizing the legitimacy of the priesthood of believers, that we are together in this. And I feel like that the, the thing that points us back to that is that when we gather, as Jesus did and he said and as the church did, is when they gathered, they sat at the table and celebrated and remembered what Jesus did. I, I think every time we get together, the, the thing that we need to walk away with remembering is Jesus Christ and his example for us. Because you see, Peter tells us to do this because this is what Jesus did. And so Jesus takes his disciples and they go up to that room the night that he was betrayed, the night he was sacrificed, the night he was beaten, the night he was arrested, the night he was slandered against. And he takes that bread and he said, this is, the, this is my body that's broken for you. And in saying that, he was also communicating to us, your body may be broken as well but keep doing good in my name so that others who don't want me 
and dismiss you will glorify my Father on the day of his visitation. So let's take and eat the bread together. And then Jesus took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of my covenant. This is the blood of my covenant with you. That even when they spill my blood, I will continue to do good. So you, therefore, even to the spilling of your blood, you continue to do good so that there may be some who will glorify my Father on the day of my return. Let's take the cup together. My prayer for us this morning is that we really would deal with our sinful desires. Not because we want to be good people, but so that we can be honorable among the Gentiles, the lost that they might see our good that we do in the name of Jesus and they might glorify God, become part of the redeemed family of, of God, that they too could become priests in living stones being built into a, a spiritual house because of our corporate witness of what we do, what we say, and what we think. I want to invite the prayer team to come forward right now. And if you want prayer this morning, I, I want to invite you to come and pray. If you're with us online, you can text CP Prayer to 209-521-0181. We'd love to connect with you. I want to pray for us this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much for your example. I thank you for example, but I don't necessarily want to follow your example because that seems really hard. And it means I don't get to say and do the things that I think I want to. Help us to live out who we are, live out the identity that you have bought for us, that you gave your life for to make us into. I pray that we would be a people, and, and not just us here, but, but your body, those who have, have pledged their allegiance to the Lamb, that we would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be united in doing good in the face of being called evil, so that more would be directed and drawn to you for the forgiveness of their sins, the restoration of their relationship to you, and participation in the priesthood of believers. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 
Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.